You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Well, welcome back in to another edition of TopHeavyweights.com, the podcast. I am the somewhat capable, somewhat lucid host of the show, TJ Reeves. He is Sean from TopHeavyweights.com. Back aboard, we've got heavyweight news. We've got a heavyweight in action on the Premier Boxing Champions Showtime card this weekend as we release the podcast in Brooklyn, New York at the Barclays Center. We've got some nostalgia Whenever you can talk Mike Tyson, we're going to do it on TopHeavyweights.com. In fact, we're around the time period when he became undisputed, undisputed world heavyweight champion. This guy is undisputed as well, as far as I'm concerned. Sean is back aboard with me. How have things been? Are you good? How's the summer going? What's up? We're enjoying the summer. We're waiting for the next few big fights to show up. We are having fun. There's nice weather. Even up in Canada, believe it or not, we do get warm summers. So. But see, the thing is, you're in Canada where it's cold a bunch. I'm in Florida when it's like this most of the time. Now it's extra extra hot right now, but hot is a relative thing. Uh, so just different parts of the world, different parts of the globe uh, where it goes on. What did I see earlier this week? There are over 150 million Americans living where it's 90 degrees or higher in the United States. So it is officially hot uh, this time of year. And uh, as a metaphor, we're going to get hot on some boxing, give or take, here and some fights. We'll get into that. We'll get into the nostalgia in a little bit. Reminder, however you found us, social media link through Sean's site as well, topheavyweights.com. Make sure that you're following or subscribing on this podcast feed. The Big Fight Weekend podcast feed is where we release. Sean appreciates when I say it as semi-regularly we're here. When developments warrant, we get in a little more often. We haven't been here in a couple of weeks, but we're back aboard. So semi-regularly you will find us. You don't have to worry about finding us if you're following or subscribing because it will come automatically to you. You'll get a notification. You'll get the like, a vibrate, a ding, whatever. There's a new... Uh, top heavyweights podcast that is out and so uh, that's what we encourage you to do make sure that you follow or subscribe to get to us all right so let's get to it there is action in the ring it is part of the undercard of the danny garcia main event his return after a year and a half layoff former two division world champion will be in action in the barclays center brooklyn new york saturday night showtime premiered boxing champions pay-per-view the co-feature fight is hello a heavyweight battle Adam Kalnowski. Now, there's various ways to say his name. Babyface, right. the Polish-American. You prefer which to say it for, for him? Well, again, I don't know if it's my preference, but I've been made to understand that it's Kovnaki. Kovnaki. But it also looks wrong. like Kalnaki. Oh, the phonetic spelling of it is all over the map. And we've heard Kalnaski and the different... Okay, so Babyface is back yeah. in action. Now, yep. he's had a couple of losses. And tell me more about the opponent here, Ali Aaron Demarejian. Did I get that close to correct out of Turkey, who is the opponent? Tell me more about this matchup. Yeah, only one defeat. Uh, he is 
a top 30 guy solidly. He beat uh, uh, Gerald Washington early, earlier this year, beat him convincingly. He's got a good engine. Um, not the hardest puncher, but he's there to win. He's, uh, I've been following him and watching his proclamations on social media, and it's, he believes this is his time in life, and this is his time to break into the big time. And if he beats uh, Kovnaki convincingly or beats him at all, he'll make it into the top 20 solidly, and uh, he's someone we're going to hear about. He, had a, he lost one match, which was a 10-round uh, decision to F.A. Jagba, and uh, in that fight... He did lose, but he was not beaten up, and he was not, um, uh, let me just say, he wasn't defeated. He was simply outpointed, and um, he's there. I, I I, would say if the Kovnaki that showed up for the first Hellenius fight was there tonight, he'd be a 70-30 favorite over Demeregian. But the Kovnaki that's showing up now, based on what he's experienced with Robert Hellenius over two fights, I think... Um, You'd have to. I've been looking online to see if there are any odds uh, being given on this fight, because if Kavnaki is an overwhelming favorite at the betting booth, I would say Demerajian is a good bet. Interestingly, to your point, uh, that Kavnaki Kavnaki uh, Kavnaski is plus one fifty-five, so a little bit of an underdog, even though this is in his backyard. With Again, his fans. Yeah, and he's a Polish immigrant. Uh, who has lived in the New York, New Jersey area for the better part of about 20 years of his life. He's now 33 years old. He moved as a teenager. So this is considered his backyard. Aaron Deme- uh, De- Demeregian. Demeregian is minus 185, thank you. So this is an even fight from the odds makers. I'm looking at the Bet US line. They don't give us an over-under yet on rounds. That may change as we get closer to the weekend. They may install this. Uh, as something like a a seven and a half or a six and a half, that would be my guess for yeah. an over under uh, on this one. The so it, but interesting lot. that he's not favored. Uh, it's, it's he's taken two hard defeats, and Demeregian is considered to be still, even though he's nowhere near as popular and doesn't have the following, he's considered an up and comer. Whereas Adam Kovnaki is on the border of. Um, a different status in the division that is not an up-and-comer. He would become, if he were to continue fight, if he were to lose this fight and keep fighting, he would enter the opponent category. Well, right, especially at 33 years of age, and especially if it's a third consecutive loss. And let's let's back up a couple of steps. Had he won, if, 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 across the board, had he won initially against Hellenius, uh, the belief was he was going to be in there with Deontay Wilder. Uh, they were trying right. to make yep. that happen. Uh, in and around the Wilder fight with Tyson Fury, the Wilder rematch with Tyson Fury, and then eventually the third fight with Tyson Fury. But, of course, it went sideways for uh, Kaunaki, and then it went sideways for Deontay Wilder losing the title, so none of that ever happened. But I think you're absolutely right. A third consecutive loss would be damaging. It would not be the complete end. Uh, And I thought it was interesting because – uh, he, he's been basically honest and retrospective that maybe he didn't train as hard as he needed to for the rematch with Hellenius. Mm-hmm. I think there's a legitimate question going into Saturday night. How committed is, uh, Adam Kaunaski, Kaunaski, Kaunaki, how, how committed is he? But I guess we're going to find well, out. We'll find out, but I have to say, uh, the Robert Hellenius that he fought, especially in the second bout. If he had shown up in the best shape possible, the best Kovnaki possible, I don't believe his style meshes well with that kind of Robert Hellenius. Uh, Robert Hellenius is an accurate, hard-punching counter-puncher, and Kovnaki's a come-forward guy with a low defense. 
and uh, that's that's a bad formula. Or not but, much defense at all. Well, right. I was trying to be. I was being gracious, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to think that he's harder to hit than the average fella. But um, no, I just think that Kovnaki has to. I mean, he can. He's. I've heard him say about training that uh, he's focused on different things. I mean, the weigh-in will tell a lot, and that weigh-in will have a big effect. Now, again, not necessarily because if he weighs the same as the last fight or if he weighs slightly more or even slightly less, it just tells us that Kovnaki is not changing his mental state in terms of how he's dealing with the training. Often the weight is a reflection of the the, the mindset of the fighter uh, more so than just the training. Uh, uh, as far as uh, Demeregen, he looks to be in. He is he's coming into this like an up and comer who's been given an opportunity at a higher ranked guy, and he plans to take advantage of it. And um, I think the Barclays Center is going to be electric. I think this is to me this is the main event. I know it's the co-feature, but I think of this as the main event, and I'm sure the red and white throughout the arena will tell everybody what the main event is. Uh, this is, it's going to be interesting, you know, for his fans that show up. I mean, they've seen him get damaged. They, they've seen him beaten, but they're going to show up. They're going to be there, but it's going to be very different than the people that showed up to the Barclays Center the first time around against Hellenius, who really showed up assuming it was just a, a matter of fact that he was going to beat Hellenius and they right. were just there to cheer him on. That's why the reaction of the crowd in those highlights is, I think, one of the best reactions you're ever going to see as far as, you know, live boxing. Um, I just think people are going to show up. These are going to be, these will be um, Kovnaki boxing fans. The people that were at the la the first one of the Barclays Center, those were Kovnaki boxing fans, but also the Polish community coming out to see their their crown, their the son that they love going forward, you know? And it's important to point out that was one of the last prominent fights, fights of any kind, before the COVID-19 shutdown of, of everything in March of 2020. And the rematch was in Las Vegas on right. the undercard of Wilder and Fury 3. So he hasn't, he hasn't fought in front of the home fans in basically two and a half years or That's close right. to it. And so will he feed off of that? Kovnaki, will he not? I, I don't know. I guess we're going to find out. I think it's out. great. I, th I think he's putting himself right in the lion's den. He's putting himself in with a, a, a an opponent that the odds makers say, as you just pointed out, is at this point the favorite. And he's doing he's going up against a favorite in front of his hometown fans at the Barclays Center. And he's going to do it on uh, Showtime pay-per-view. Um, I think it's high drama. I mean, it's... Uh, it's high drama, and uh, I'm sure a lot of Turkish uh, uh, New Yorkers in the area and Turkish Americans and, of course, people from Turkey will be following it very closely. If, uh, if Demirejian wins this, he's going he's gonna to have a groundswell of Turkish uh, support. And he did beat an American, Gerald Washington, a couple of fights ago. This would be an enormous, This would be the biggest win of his career to this point just because of the name that he's yep. fighting. So we'll see what happens, obviously, That's, with that coming it's up gonna on be, Saturday. It's, like I said, as far as entertainment, I've been watching heavyweight boxing a long time. And there's a certain chemistry, a certain formula of, of events that come together. And, I, and when I look at this fight coming up, okay, sure, it's the number uh, 21 guy, Kovnaki, against the number 27 guy in Demeregen or something around there. But what's on the line yep. and the, the audience and the crowd and the backers, like the people that are putting on the event are Kovnaki's people. Uh, PBC is putting on the event. That means they're paying for it. They're paying Demeregen. And um, they're, they're banking on Kovnaki winning this one, but it's not an easy one. Not an they're, easy but one. They're, they're, but they're banking on him winning. It's, it's sure. quite a, I thought he was going to come back 
I, I knew he would come back, but I thought he would come back against an opponent that was maybe top 60, something like that. You know, I didn't think they would put him in there with a guy who, as the odds makers show, uh, is, is a favorite. Well, but I think this is a better payday. This is, again, us just putting the pieces together. This is a better payday to fight this guy because it's a more prominent fight on the card that it's on. And it's also for him almost like a challenge of, are you going to be a legitimate contender or not? We need to know that. Yeah, and, we need to know. And, and he was, yeah. And if you get beat, then we know the answer. If you get beat we here. Do, we do. And he was offered, it is, it's pretty much confirmed, he was offered the fight with Derek Chisora uh, before Kubrat Pulev took it. Um but Kavnaki was offered a serious chunk of change. I don't know, $1.2 million or something like that. But he would have had to go to United Kingdom to fight right. Chisora there. He made the decision to take this fight. But as you say, this is everything on the line. It's now or never. Because Kavnaki, uh, he separated himself from his family. His family's in Poland right now, his kids and his wife. He's taken the solitude approach. He said he made the mistake in the first two Hellenius fights as... The way he put it was that he tried to balance being with his kids and his family with training, getting ready for those fights. This one, he's going, um, you know, right by himself, and he's going. He, it's on the line. This is for him. I think this is the most important fight in his career thus far, from the standpoint that it's on the line. I don't think when he fought, well, when he fought Hellenius the second time, it wasn't really hyped that he had to win it to remain relevant. But, I mean, the way he lost, I mean, he got just shellacked in Again. that second fight. So, yep. I, it's, it's, you don't want to over-talk over it, but um, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be dramatic. You've got the, you know, you've got the hometown favorite up against an, um, a, a favorite in the odds books. That is, uh, that's going to be good. I mean, if Kavnaki wins convincingly, that's that'll be quite a statement. He's Let's back on that. track. He's, He's back, back on track. Yeah. And uh, they both have fought Gerald Washington, by the way. Kavnaki had a big coming out, uh, at least on television, in January of 2019 when he knocked out Gerald Washington in just two rounds. Yeah. Uh, and that helped catapult him in terms of interest into those Hellenius fights uh, a year or so later, only to have that set him back. How far is he set back? Can he get back on track? We'll find out as we release this podcast Saturday night, uh, July 30th at the Barclays Center. Okay, another fight that has been made since last you and I talked, and this was not unexpected. They were going to have this fight earlier this year uh, on the undercard of the Canelo alvarez Dimitri Bivol show in Las Vegas. However, Philip Hergovich... Um, had the unfortunate passing of his father, unexpected passing of his father, who has been his mentor, his trainer in the past. Um, and so Hergovich pulled out of the fight with uh, China's uh, Zalei Zhang. Yeah. That fight is now back on. the IB. It's an IBF eliminator. The IBF number one ranking is there. And so this fight is back on on the undercard of the Alexander Usyk-Anthony uh, Joshua matchup. That is coming on August the 20th. All right, Sean, topheavyweights.com. Give me the yeah. inside here now that this fight is back on track and on the schedule. Well, when the fight was originally scheduled, I thought um, Philip Hergovic was a lock. I just think that Zhang has showed too much, too many inconsistencies, we'll call it that, And uh, whereas uh, Hergovic has showed nothing but steamroller power, and I think Hergovic's a more accomplished boxer. But Zhang is a southpaw, and... Uh, he, in his last fight, demolished Scott Alexander in convincing fashion. And I think he's got a bit of a, a bit of a, a scary momentum going there, which on now that the rematch has been made, I still think Hergovic's the favorite. Um, in fact, 
I guess my 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 guess would be a Hergovic victory inside of three rounds, just because they're going to be throwing big punches. These are big guys, and I don't think uh, well, and 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 that's the point. I don't know what the over under will be, but right. Zang, but Zhang can fire that uh, that left with deadly accuracy and power. We saw what it did to Scott Alexander. Not to say that he's a a top heavyweight, but if Zhang can put that straight left through Hergovic, I think we might have an interesting showdown. I don't, I still think the over-under, I would expect this fight to end inside of uh, five rounds. I, I, I don't see it, I, I don't see it going much longer just because they've both got heavy artillery and I don't think either one is... Well, and clearly, I mean, we should point this out too, Hergovic is somebody that Eddie Hearn was grooming hoping to get him in front of Anthony Joshua here again, right. not unlike what we were talking about with Kovnaki uh, and, De- and Deontay Wilder, it got derailed by both. It got derailed right. by Joshua losing. And then Hergovic has not been active uh, enough and, and, and can't get in on the rematch situation that's going on with Anthony Joshua and Alexander Usyk anyway. But this is clearly somebody that Eddie Hearn was trying to bring along over the last two or three years uh, when he was fighting Rydell Booker, he was fighting uh, Radjanovic, and those yeah, guys been, in, in 2020 and 2021, he was trying to bring him along to maybe be a mandatory title shot. Well, and I guess that's tr- still the hope. Well, it's, he's, well, you say trying. I mean, uh, Eddie Hearn's been putting on a lot of shows with a lot of fighters and hyping a lot of stuff, and if I was Philip Hergovic, I wouldn't be happy with the way I was being treated on the menu as far as being a top-bill um, fighter. But um, it's been slow, and... Um, her, this will be, I suppose, the toughest test of Hergovic's career. And um, Zhang does have an Olympic pedigree. If And I also, also, Eddie Hearn was grooming uh, Zili Zhang uh, to actually become a star, and his hope was to put on a heavyweight championship in China. So, if Zhang, and some people say Zhang Zili, just because it's flipped in Chinese, or Zili Zhang. Right. Um, but, the clarification is, in China and in South Korea, the surname, or the last name, is always first. So if you were to ask him what his name is, he would say Zhang Zili, because that's what they're accustomed to saying. It's almost like right. a military thing yeah. uh, as well. But just but, for the uh, for those that care about such things, technicalities and whatever, we're just keeping it clear. But, but, I've, but I've seen it in both ways all over the place. I just think that if, I mean, put it this way, if Zhang Zili or Zili Zhang, however you want it, let's say Zili Zhang for now, if he wins and he wins convincingly, that will be a real shock through the heavyweight division because that will get China to pay attention. Right now, the Chinese are not paying attention to him. They're not stupid. They know that he hasn't yet crossed the line of real heavyweight relevance in terms of challenging for the title. But if he were to win this one, the whole of China would, st- well, not the whole of China, but a great deal of the Chinese market would start to follow this bout. And um, Well, we should point out he is somebody that has been living in the United States for, what, the right. better part of a few years. He lives yeah. in New Jersey and has been fighting primarily in the United States. His last four fights have been in the United States. So he's not necessarily been on their radar for geographical reasons, no. even though he's Chinese, right? Well, I mean, that's the way it works. For, for a lot of these heavyweights who come from countries that don't really have the heavyweight stable, the heavyweight training, the the managers, the promoters, a lot of them will move to Las Vegas or New York or London or Germany 
whether they're from, like even, you know, look at um, Joseph Parker, he's fighting in the United Kingdom now. Uh, uh, Martin Bacoli from the Congo, he's fighting in Scotland. I mean, that's where he's based. Um, Mm -hmm. And of course, in Florida, many heavyweights are based down in Florida. I believe um, uh, Luis Ortiz is based in Florida. Of course, that's the Cuban Cuban connection. But um, yeah, I think that's just the nature of the beast. I think if you're going to get to this level in the heavyweight division where you're competing in the top 20 or the top 30, you need top sparring you need top management robert hellenius is an exception he works up in northern finland and he's managed to uh, do his sparring and uh, everything he needs to do uh, quite effectively we'll be waiting for news on what's going to happen to him later on but uh, like i said it's going to be fireworks there's again uh, philip hergovic and zaili zhang will not be boring i think that's a great undercard fight and i'm hopeful that as the card uh, builds up on august 20th they can add a few more heavyweight bouts to uh, to it up but yeah they have they have already confirmed uh chris billam smith i believe is going to be on that card and rama ali the female uh, star that eddie hearn has on matchroom boxing will fight in saudi arabia which is interesting with the whole uh hierarchy of the saudi arabian uh system the family structure the government whatever and women it is interesting that she's going to be on the fight card and they're going to have a women's fight uh, on that hey back to hergovich one more time again he is known as a big puncher uh, as the uh, as the Croatian, twelve knockouts in fourteen fights. So I'm w- I'm with you. I would be shocked if this thing sees like a sixth round, a seventh round, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever's going to happen is probably going to be resolved in the first three, four rounds of the fight. Absolutely, I think it's uh, you know again I'm I'm I like I like both fighters. I want the best man to win. I hope there's no cut. I hope nothing happens that gets in the way of a of a proper outcome, but. I just think from watching both of them and seeing the weaknesses that each has been, you know, has displayed, I think Hergovic has to go in the hot favorite. I don't, what are the odds on that one? I'm not exactly haven't, sure. Haven't haven't seen anything yet, yeah. but you would have you would have to think that uh, Zhang is probably favored because he's been a little more active, oh. at least in this calendar year. So oh. I don't know though, but it, it's probably a 50-50 fight with an over under, like you said, of something like four and a half rounds. That would not surprise me at all if it's that low. And it might even be three and a half, where the odds makers say, "I'm tempting you. I'm trying to get equal money on both sides. Do you yeah, dare? Yeah, yeah. Do you dare go with an under for a pricey for a pricey well, bet I, at under three and a half? I might I might I be interested in that. I'll, oh no no no! <laughs> I'm going to be watching these. I'll tell you right now. I I think Zaili Zhang is. There's, I don't know what it is, but there's something telling me that he's coming into this with a real intention to upset the apple cart. And um, who knows? All right. Zhang, by the way, believed to be 39. You can never trust uh, all of this on uh, Chinese government, whatever, but it's believed that he is 39. Hergovich is considerably younger uh, than that, what is, uh, I think, Hergovich, I think I saw Late 20s, I think. 20, he is, he's actually 30 also. I thought 30. he was 28 or 29. Yeah. He's 30 also. Yeah. So we'll see. For one of these guys, they get a huge win on the matchroom uh, show card, on the card before Usyk and Joshua rematch. And might they be on the radar in 2023 for a title shot somehow, some way? Well, Don't know, it. not likely, but we'll see. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop. 
and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. We'll see well, I, uh, I, on that. Whoever, whoever wins convincingly is going to be uh, discussed uh, in a big way. I think if it's Zhang, then there'll be a huge reaction to that. But I think what, we're, what we probably are going to get is Philip Hergovic scoring a knockout after a few. I will say this. Philip Hergovic will get a few scares. All right. We'll find I'll out. Say that. All right. We'll find out if that is, in fact, the case. Time to get nostalgic here with Sean on a podcast. July 22nd, 1963, the Las Vegas Convention Center. Sonny Liston retains his heavyweight championship against former champion Floyd Patterson with another first-round knockout. The official time was 2.10. After demolishing Patterson, Liston was considered unbeatable, but his next defense would be against the young, undefeated Cassius Clay, and the world was in for a shock. August 1st, 1987, from the Las Vegas Hilton in Nevada, USA, WBA and WBC heavyweight champion Mike Tyson faces off against IBF heavyweight champion Tony Tucker for the undisputed heavyweight championship of the world. Mike Tyson went in the overwhelming favorite, but undefeated Tony Tucker put up a struggle and Mike Tyson had to settle for a unanimous 12-round decision. While Mike Tyson was crowned the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, he would not receive full universal recognition until he faced undefeated lineal heavyweight champion Michael Spinks the following year. Always love this in and around the time period in late July here in this case where we released the podcast. Yes, Sonny Liston, uh, same song, second verse, could have gotten better was still worse for Floyd Patterson. He knocked him out in the first round both times. There was no difference in fight number two in this time period in history. Sonny Liston was still Sonny Liston, Sean. Well, that was, uh, and, and Floyd Patterson was Floyd Patterson. I think he lasted a few ex- extra seconds or something like that. <laughs> but um, no, uh, uh, Liston was too intimidating, too physical, too powerful, too accurate, too everything. And Floyd Patterson really was out of his depth. Um, it was Styles make fights, I think, there you as go. well as Styles make fights. And I think there's been many rematches where people have put together the second fight. You know, we talked about Galata Bo a few weeks ago, and they right. put together the rematch. And, you know, sometimes what happened in the first fight, as absurd as it seems, can often happen again. And that's what happens when those two get together. And I think... Uh, Flo- what's incredible about it is that Sonny Liston, a lot of people know this or they should know it, is that leading up to the first Floyd Patterson fight, Liston was considered the de facto number one heavyweight in the world going back a little while. So he was sort of the the unbeaten, unbeatable guy. Not unbeaten, but he was unbeatable. And by the time he knocked out Patterson in the second fight, the consensus was that he was very much like Mike Tyson before the Buster Douglas. I was just going to say that. You're on the same wavelength that I am, that almost so menacing and intimidating that the fight is over before it begins. And that's why the Ali, the the Cassius Clay upset of Liston was so shocking was because so many people, observers, media fans, thought that he was going to destroy Ali the same way he destroyed Floyd Patterson in those two fights. And it didn't happen. 
I mean, I think people gave uh, Clay a little, they called him Clay at the time, but Muhammad Ali, they gave him credit that they probably thought, well, he can stay away from Liston a little more effectively than Floyd Patterson could have. But it was only a matter of time until Liston got to him. And uh, yeah, it was, Liston was considered, uh, after the Floyd Patterson uh, two fights, it was, it was thought that Liston was going to be chewing up the heavyweight division for at least a number of years without any opposition, despite the proclamations of Cassius Clay at the time that he would uh, shock the world. But he did shock the oh, world. Oh, yes, he did. And he knew, he knew two or three things. He knew movement. He knew his hand speed. He knew the ability to frustrate uh, Liston would create problems. And and he stood in there. He stood in yeah. there when Liston early on in the fight was trying to throw some big shots. So he had courage. He, he had courage turned, too. He, he he turned it on the bully. I mean, he basically yes. you know it's like it's like when you punch a bully right in the mouth or in the nose when they don't expect or they expect it but they didn't expect you to do it. And bullies don't like being backed up. And I think um, Muhammad Ali also in the pre-fight build-up he used his high energy and his his antagonistic words to. Uh, to annoy and to infuriate Sonny Liston. And I think that plus the fact that he came out and actually put some hard leather on him, and he really did in that first round. I mean, it was pretty, it was, that was a, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, there's always transition periods. When, when did the 50s end? When did the 60s begin? You know, I think uh, Muhammad Ali really ushered in as Cassius Clay, the 60s of boxing. Uh, when you think about, uh, you know, Ingemar Johansson and uh, Floyd Patterson and Sonny Liston, they almost seem like, from the 50s heading into the city, but no, he, uh, it was a different time. In the rematch, he made Sonny Liston look like... I was going to say, that that rematch was uh, bizarre. It's still controversial to this day uh, because was it a punch? Was it a serious enough punch to have done what it supposedly did to Liston, especially when the count is at seven or eight or nine and he suddenly beach whale flops back over again and then you, uh, I don't know about that. But yeah. Yeah, that that was uh, that was basically the end of Sonny Liston in that rematch, after that rematch. So As far uh, as being a world contender. Oh, yeah, yeah was, absolutely. Yeah. So there's where a rematch uh, was totally different than what happened with the first fight. And shockingly so. And to this day, there are still people that cover it that believe that the fix was in long before that, that the mob was ready to cash in on a on the negative on a first round list and knockout loss. And the instruction was the first time he hits you with anything, go down and stay down. And that and that that shoe fits if you believe that narrative. Well, we still I, don't know. We still I don't know. Fifty, sixty I, years later. I prefer to believe that Sonny Liston. First, if you look at that punch it hit him right. He was coming forward. The punch did, it was a hard punch. You could see his neck, can, you know, go backwards. And But I think the thing is that what he got from that punch was dropped, but he also, it convinced him in his own mind that what he was about to experience if he got up and kept fighting would be the same result as the first fight. Interesting. Different takes on all of this. Okay, so you also mentioned Mike Tyson as the bully and as intimidating, and he was intimidating Mike Tyson in this time period back in 1987. Now, as Sean and I talk on this podcast, my Lord, can this really have been 35 years ago? But 35 years ago, uh, it was. Uh, he fought four times that year in 1987. This was the third of the four times when he fought Tony Tucker on August 1st of 1987, and he became undisputed champion to have 
uh, all of the belts. You you threw in the caveat of Michael Spinks had been stripped of the IBF title because he refused to defend it uh, against Tony Tucker um, and instead wanted to fight, what, Jerry Cooney for the bigger payday. So right. Spinks had not been beaten in the ring. That would not come until a year later, which we talked about. But this was essentially billed as the undisputed fight because Tucker had won a couple of months earlier uh, the uh, the vacant belt against whom? James Buster Douglas. And that right. set up the Tyson fight August 1st, 1987, Sean. Yeah, um, I just think there's two schools of thought. There's the, the belts in the sense that Mike Tyson at that point won all the relevant belts, the WBC, the WBA, and he added the IBF against Tony Tucker. And Tony Tucker was undefeated, so this was, and it was a tough fight. Um, Tyson had been steamrolling people, and he certainly didn't, he didn't steamroll Tony Tucker, that's for sure. But Michael Spinks had beaten the undefeated IBF heavyweight champion Larry Holmes. He had, vac- he had vacated the WBC title earlier on, but he was still undefeated. Larry Holmes was the guy who beat Muhammad Ali, who beat Ken Norton. Uh, so Lar- Larry Holmes was the man. And Michael Spinks beat him and essentially became the, heavy- he wa- he became the heavyweight champion that night. And for a lot of boxing purists, he never lost that heavyweight championship. He was still the heavyweight. He had fought Jerry Cooney. He fought Stefan Tagstad. Um, lesser competition. And yes, he was going for the money. But I think for Mike Tyson, and that's and that's why the Michael Spinks fight was much bigger as a promotion than the Tony Tucker fight. And that's the public's awareness that Michael Spinks was the guy who dethroned Larry Holmes. And if he dethroned Larry Holmes, he must be the champion, no matter what anyone says. Because he didn't go off the rails like Tyson Fury. He didn't disappear. He didn't stop fighting. Right. He just decided not to do what the IBF told him to do. Well, and in this case, uh, I find it fascinating, too, when you go into the way back. It's actually Don King who was behind all of this, as he was with the heavyweights in the 80s and the 90s. And most of them ended up financially ruined, by the way, by listening to and being around Don King. But he billed this actually as the heavyweight World Series of Boxing, the World Series Tournament of Boxing, yeah, where they HBO. had yeah. where they had Tucker fighting Buster Douglas on the undercard of Tyson fighting Pinklon Thomas, like they were true right. semifinals. Whoever wins these two fights, they're going to fight next in the heavyweight World Series. And isn't it wild that Buster Douglas was winning the Tony Tucker fight earlier in that summer, 1987, and had he won it, he would have been in the ring three years earlier, roughly, with Mike Tyson, and it's probably a completely different outcome totally that different. that night in August of 87 if it's him fighting Mike Tyson, a different primed Mike Tyson who is still with uh, Kevin Rooney and is still in, in tremendous uh, mental and physical focused condition – would have probably been totally different. But the interesting thing is Douglas didn't finish off the Tucker fight. He ran out of gas. He, he gave up. He got stopped. Uh, whatever you want to call it. Tucker's the guy that gets the huge payday, gets the undisputed fight with Mike Tyson, loses to him. And Buster Douglas eventually resurfaces as a little known, lightly regarded opponent in, in February of 1990, some two and a half years later. On the nostalgia. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, Michael Spinks was part of that tournament that they set up on HBO, but he he passed on the, the final elements of it. But Michael Spinks did make the biggest payday against Mike Tyson, a far bigger payday than Tony Tucker got. So, oh, right, right. Uh, so Michael Spinks played his cards right financially. And when you think about it in retrospect, you know, Michael Spinks was really a, 
a small heavyweight, a blown up light heavyweight. Of course. And Tony Tucker was a big heavyweight. I mean, uh, and Tyson I, couldn't get him out of there. To right. your and point. I, and, and I so think it took a 12 round decision. And I think Tony Tucker, if you go back in time, let's say Michael Spinks had agreed to finish up his part of the tournament and defend his IBF title against Tony Tucker, he would have lost. And uh, if he had lost to Tony Tucker, there would have been nowhere near the hype for the Mike Tyson undisputed as there was for Spinks and Tyson. Uh, they called it once and for all, meaning let's settle this. Because there was, uh, there were people who believed with justification that at the time that Mike Tyson fought Michael Spinks, Michael Ty- Mike Tyson was the, the de facto number one contender in the world, holding the undisputed title against the true lineal champion, Michael Spinks. You could play it any way in your mind. I mean, I wasn't really following boxing at that time, but I do remember the hype around it. And... Uh, I watched, I've watched interviews with people. Everyone thought Tyson would win, more or less everyone. I'm sure there are some exceptions, as I've heard you make reference to. Right. But, um, but Spinks, you know, he was still the heavy. He had still beaten Larry Holmes. He, he had beaten the, the guy who yeah. had beaten the guy, but he hadn't right. beaten anybody like Mike Tyson. And, and Tyson, no. uh, again, there's another uh, in this time period anniversary of him destroying Marvis Frazier late July 1986. That was the right. time where the lore of Mike Tyson was greater than what we had actually seen because he hadn't been on TV for all of these fights. He'd been on TV for a few of them on ESPN. He was on network TV fighting the son of smoking Joe Frazier, Marvis Frazier, in a fight in uh, Glen Falls, New York, that lasted 30 seconds. He trapped him in the corner and knocked him unconscious sitting up in the corner. Uh, and, And that was really a coming out for a lot of the country. At that point, a lot of the country saw Mike Tyson for the first time in July of 1986, and it was what uh, four months later in November of '86 that he knocked out Trevor Burbick and started him on the meteoric rise of right. all the heavyweight championship wins, the undisputed defenses, etc. But and it's interesting that they used network television to really bump the Mike Tyson um, mystique to a whole new level by exposing him to free television. That must have helped with the uh, the HBO um, series as far as Burbick. Absolutely, yeah. Because he had fought several times on ABC, it made him more marketable for the HBO series and to move him into a heavyweight title shot. He fought uh, two or three times, I think, on ABC's Wide World of Sports, and so. And they should be, and they should be doing that today. They should be taking, even though Kavnaki fought Hellenius on Fox on Free Fox that first. Correct. And um, unfortunately, it didn't really do for Kavnaki what they had intended. In fact, Robert Hellenius, over the last, I hate to bring him up, but over the last two fights. He has raised his profile enormously. Um, so we'll see what happens to him next. But it would be nice to see network television step in and um, get involved with uh, promoting some top heavyweights on free broadcast television. It would All be right. great. I mean, well, but, if it if it does if it does go back to that, but there's so much money now, they want it on but, the cable or an app or a stream or something. But that's I the agree. question, though. Why? I mean, that's that's an interesting subject. Why? Uh, TJ, because you're familiar with other major sports involved in major sports. Why do other major sports manage to make it to free broadcast television and make lots and lots of money, whereas top heavyweight, heavyweight boxing and boxing on the whole cannot? What is the reason for that? I think that's a great I think that's a great debate point. I think yeah. the popularity of uh, of things like football, for example, which seems to to sell at such a uh, at such a high rate, 
it, it draws in so much more audience. I mean, boxing would regularly have on network TV 30, 40, 50 million people watch. There aren't, and, and it's, a, it's a much deeper discussion, but there aren't 30, 40, 50 million people watching anything anymore on regular TV. There aren't 10 million people watching anything on regular TV with the exception of American college football or the NFL. That is the only right. real exception uh, on, uh, on, well, it's just on interesting what does that, draw. Yeah. But, I mean, when you go back and look, like Tyson's fight with Marvis Frazier, I bet if we went back and looked, that ABC Wide World of Sports, it would not surprise me if during the day on Saturday they had 25 or 30 million people that watched it because that fewer choices, not, not cable prevalent, no satellite TV, huge uh, boxing was still a huge mainstream sport would not surprise me at all if in the daytime you had 25 or 30 million people watching that fight in 1986 I don't, I don't, I don't to help catapult him. but i don't disagree but um i guess the, the question is why have other major sports remained on free television and boxing has been taken off of free television uh, that's that's, I mean, you would think the effects that you're mentioning would affect the other major sports as well. In other words, the NFL has to do pay-per-view now. They have to only be on streaming. They have to do this because, you know, it, they don't get as enough, enough viewership on uh, free TV. I think, and because uh, I have background Your in Your argument industry, is free yeah. TV helps those sports and fuels those sports and boxing is, mix, uh, is missing out. And I don't, I don't think there's a strong argument against that. I think no, you're right. It's, to me, it's a fact. Rocky Marciano used to fight on free television. Um, you could, you caught, I mean, I'm not saying that every, I mean, Muhammad Ali and, and uh, George Foreman, it was not on free TV. It was on closed circuit. It was on free TV in some countries, uh, delayed as so on and so forth. But I just think that there is a place for free television. And when I say free television, I mean, like what I've always envisioned as a future model is that the event is not just on free TV, but it's on free streaming, free everything. In other words, Everybody on earth who wants to see the event can see the event for free. Well, on so just device. one more point on this. Some of the promotions have gotten smarter with this where they will show the preliminary fights, the undercard of some kind on a free outlet, on a cable outlet, on YouTube, for example. A lot of them have been using yeah. YouTube to stream like the first couple of fights on the fight card. Yeah. And then the the co-feature fight and the main event fight are on pay-per-view or you've got to go right. find them somewhere else. So there is a yeah. little of that. But in terms of network TV, it just comes really down, it. It, it really just comes down to selling. And I guess I sort of know the answer to my own question because I've researched it. Uh, but it really comes down to advertising. Advertising is what drives television and it's what drives all free forms of broadcast. If it's free, it's probably trying to, it's selling advertising for the audience that it's it's hitting. The problem with boxing and heavyweight boxing is that the audience is primarily, and I know this from statistical data that I've pulled in the last few months, uh, the reactors to boxing around the world. You're talking 95% men, and less than 5% women. And anyone who knows anything about advertising knows that if you're not targeting women, you're not getting the ads. And if the thing that you're presenting has any offensive stigma that women won't like, you're certainly not getting the ads. And that is why boxing is not on free television, because it offends the female sensibilities. All points well taken. By the way, uh, just one more closing thing. 
uh, Sean, here before we go. We saw that Muhammad Ali's uh, green WBC championship belt was sold to the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, um, Robert Ursay, earlier this week. We were joking with Dan Rayfield on this podcast feed on Big Fight Weekend. He did not sell it. You would like to confirm on the Top Heavyweights Boxing Podcast, you were not bidding against Jim Ursay for millions. You were not the other bidder jacking no. that price up. For I thought six of, I thought million about it. dollars. I thought about it. No, you know what? Uh, I think it's a, he's he's made a good investment. There's no reason to believe that the value of that is going to go down. Uh, it's going to go up. It's legendary. So I think good on him. I'm glad he owns it. I'm sure he'll pack it and in, he's a, nice, got some in a nice other, case. He's got some other interesting memorabilia like Ali's uh, shoes uh, from, uh, what, the Rumble in the Jungle and the robe from the Sonny Liston second fight that we mm-hmm. mentioned. So he's been a, he's been quite the collector, Ursay, the owner of the Colts. It's, it's, it's you're, you own pieces of human history absolutely uh you can't i mean look at that muhammad ali george foreman fight on youtube is still flying strong right now people are watching it as we speak five decades later it is still talked about as the rumble in the jungle we hope you're still uh finding and talking about this podcast as we come along sean we've come to another end we'll see what happens with the kovnaki fight saturday night the pbc showtime fight in brooklyn um aaron demesian did i come close demeresian demeresian We'll know his name soon enough, I think. We'll see, we'll we'll see, see who happens. ends up with this. Uh, coming up on Saturday, and again, the Hergovich-Zhang fight is coming uh, on the undercard of Usyk Joshua. That will be here before we know it. And even Hasim Rahman Jr. battling Jake Paul coming on the weekend of August the 6th. Is that going to be legit, or is that going to be an easy knockout again for Paul? We'll find out. Quick thought from you, because we may not be back before then. Is it an easy yeah, Paul no. knockout, uh, or does he get a test? I don't. I don't really know... Quite frankly, what weight class is that one going to be in? Do we know? They're, they're considering it cruiserweight, uh-huh. but uh, you know, still Rockman's going to be allowed to weigh over two hundred yeah. pounds. It's a legit. Yeah, I I just think, for me, boxing credibility is not served by this event. I'm not right. sure what's going down. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I don't know what this is. If Hasim Rockman is a legitimate heavyweight. I mean, where would you put him in the world, Hassan Rockman Jr.? Maybe you might put him at 150 or right. 130 or maybe somewhere down there. Jake Paul, last time I looked in the cruiserweight division, he was 600 or something like that. Or... Hasn't fought a legitimate boxer, so we'll right. see. Has not... we so will... we'll see. I mean, I have to admit, it's peculiar, seems off. <laughs> To me, well, I don't know what I don't know Jake, what it is. With Jake but I'm Paul, gonna, who knows? There will be an I, audience, I, and we'll find out. But I, I would, but I would imagine, based on the promotion and everything, that a, a Paul victory is assured. Probably so. Probably the case. But we got to tune in. It's heavyweight boxing. Anyway, again, follow or subscribe on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. They need to read more on topheavyweights.com, and we come along with a top heavyweights podcast uh, periodically here throughout the summer and as we rock along. Sean, and I always we, love being with you. Anything and else? Sure, and, and we've all got to keep checking out bigfightweekend.com. Keep our eyes on the prize see what's going on and uh yeah we just keep doing it it's good to see you tj it's always a pleasure and i look forward to seeing you again soon always good to be with you sean and always good to be with the audience here read him more topheavyweights.com and find us here on the topheavyweights.com podcast